Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Paige Clark. Her writing has appeared in Mean Jane, Meniscus, and New World Writing. Her new book is She is Haunted, which is published by our friends at $2 Radio. Paige, welcome to the program. Hi, Jason. Thank you for having me. It is an honor to have you here. And first, Paige, I want to ask you, how are you doing? Have there been any big life changes recently? Uh, Well, there have been. (laughs) I recently had a baby, so the baby is hopefully going to sleep through this interview. It's 6 a.m. here, so there's a a good chance of that. So just getting used to new new mom life and figuring out how to write at the same time. My friend told me, write when the baby writes. So <laughs> hopefully it happens before then. Yeah, I know, right? Well, congratulations. Um, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, my son's about to turn six, but I remember those days quite fondly and uh, you know, um, enjoy the sleep while it lasts. That's all I will say. Um, is it your first kid? It's my first. Excellent. Well, congratulations again. Um, One more question before we dive into your book. I want to ask about your academic work. Uh, You have a degree in mass communication theory from Boston University, where my good friend and former office mate, Matt Davis, teaches. Uh, You have a master's in creative writing, editing, and publishing. You were working on a PhD. Uh, My question is, what sort of work are you doing for your PhD, and how do all these degrees work together? I'm not sure how they work together, but I do think that the mass communication theory degree taught me how to write because I was doing a lot of publicity stuff in that degree, and you have to learn how to get the punchy stuff up front. So I think that that really was the basis for what became my creative work, though I've never worked in publicity or along those lines. And as for my academic work, what I do is I actually look at creative writing textbooks for representation. Mm. I am looking at Australian text, but I think it would be interesting to do in readily used American texts as well. And looking at how exemplification specifically of writers of color and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander writers um, are used in text. And what I've found so far is that they're not used a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. So then the question that my research looks at is, you know, how do writers of color learn how to write if we don't have any examples? And I think you know, that goes hand in hand with publishing and bookstores as well, because if these stories aren't getting published, then how can they become examples in how to write? So looking at that question of, you know, how do we learn how to write? Um, And I think that obviously publishing, making changes, beginning to make those changes as well in the textbooks. That sounds excellent. Thank you so much. Um, I have a degree in creative writing. and then a, another degree in literature, but I know that that's something that uh, we could have used, even though it's been a very long time ago when I, uh, since I was a creative writing student at the University of South Carolina. Well, um, thank you so much, Paige. Let's now dive 
into your excellent new short story collection, She is Haunted. This is the best short story collection I have read in a very, very long while. And listeners, this is the collection for you. Order it now. Don't hesitate. You will be supporting an indie publisher, an indie bookstore, and picking up one of the best books of the year. Page. I have to agree with Eric Obanoff from $2 Radio uh, in his opinion that this is one of the strongest debuts he has encountered in recent memory. That is very high praise coming from Eric, who reads probably a thousand books a year. Um, how has it been working with $2 Radio for the U.S. publication of your book? Well, first of all, thank you so much. That's such kind words and really means a lot to me. But it's been excellent working with $2 Radio. I Just everyone on the team, it feels like they have your back the whole way. And I think, you know, having the experience of being with an independent publisher has really gone above and beyond my expectations. So just the amount of work that goes on and the things that they make happen for the book. I feel like every morning I wake up and there's an email from Eric or Eliza about something that's happened I didn't even know was happening. Um, so it's just been absolutely incredible and everything they do is so cool as well. I get so many comments on the cover um, and just the aesthetic. And when I held the book in my hands for the first time, I felt like it was a new book because it had come out in Australia, but it was a very different experience there. So, um, it's been wonderful what they've done with it and how I think they've, their vision for the book. Yeah, absolutely. And our listeners will um, know we've had Eric on the program before uh, for a book that he wrote about um, vegan cooking. And uh, we had a customer in our store this weekend who was praising us for carrying so many $2 radio books, saying that he had not read a bad one yet. And I have to agree uh, with that opinion. So thank you, Paige, and congratulations on your publication here in the U.S. Uh, The first story in this collection is titled Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. One of the main characters in this story is God. Uh, The protagonist is trying to make a deal with God. Uh, Were there any difficulties for you, Paige, in writing a story where God is a character, or did you find that the story wrote itself? This is one of those stories that, as a writer, I, I hate to think about it because I have no idea how I did it, it's one of those stories that sort of just came to me and I wish I could recreate that experience, but that very rarely happens to me. I'm, I'm a bit of a planner and a plotter and I take a really long time, but I sat down and the story just came out of me. I was actually doing this exercise I read in this creative writing handbook that if you don't write every single day, you're not a writer. So I thought, oh no, I don't write every single day. I better write every single day. So I'm actually a writer. And I started writing every single day. And then one day I just started writing this story. Um, And God kind of came to me in this way. And and he was very real and embodied as he is in this story. And I didn't didn't look back once I once I heard his voice in my head. Yeah, that's great. And you dedicate uh, this collection, by the way, to all of the Elizabeths who have lived through this and more. Um, is that dedication tied to the story, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross? I ask because in your dedication, Elizabeth is spelled with a Z, but the Elizabeth in this story spells her name with an S. So the Elizabeth dedication, 
is a little bit vain and I haven't actually explained it yet um, to anyone that I've done press with. So this is the exclusive, um, oh, nice. but my middle name is Elizabeth. And throughout the book, there are characters that have variations of the name Elizabeth with different spellings or nicknames. Um, and that, that's probably obvious to some readers and it doesn't need to be for the book to make sense. Um, but I guess, you know, in so many ways, this book was me trying to capture a time in my life and things that I went through during that time. Um, and so that dedication you know, it was to myself in many ways, or people like me that needed to read a book um, to help them through difficult times, which is what reading has done for me and continues to do for me. But the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross title, that was actually just a really wonderful coincidence because I originally titled that story Rumpelstiltskin, which mm. I was very dedicated to that title. And everyone that read it said, this title is terrible. This isn't the story of Rumpelstiltskin. There's nothing about Rumpelstiltskin in this. I thought, oh, I've got to think of a new title. And then I came upon that one and it just fit in so perfectly with the collection. Yeah. And, you know, now that you say that, um, I do see the parallels with the Rumpelstiltskin story, actually. And I'm going to have to reread it now with that in mind. Thank you, Paige, for that exclusive. Um, <laughs> What is the this that these Elizabeths have lived through in your dedication? Oh, well, I guess um, you'll have to read the book to find out. But I think it's just all of the life that happens. I mean, for me, this is sort of a capsule of my 20s, which mm. I know can be quite a tumultuous decade for lots of people. Uh, but a lot of things happened during that time. So my ex-husband passed away. Mm. Um, I became estranged from my mother. And I think that those are probably the two biggest themes. But there's also lots of other things, the small things that happen along the way, friendships, boyfriends, dogs that passed away, um, mm. all those kind of things that really make up a life. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry for your losses, Paige. That's terrible. Um, and I'm glad you had your writing to see you through. Well, we'll talk more about this story in just a moment. For now, listeners, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor. And then I will be right back with Paige Clark. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Paige Clark, author of She is Haunted, which is published by our friends at $2 Radio. Paige, back to the story titled Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Uh, in this story, the protagonist values her unborn baby 
over all living things, excepting maybe her husband. Uh, can you tell us what is going on with the value system here? I guess it's funny because I wrote this story before becoming a mother. And now um, that I've become a mother, it's really sort of changed my own view of the story. When my baby was born, he actually went into special care nursery for a week because he had an infection. And during that time, I remember thinking about this story and thinking of the last line of the story, which I won't give away, um, but thinking that if I could just get through this week in special care and just get him home, then I would be happy that that's all I wanted was just for him to be safe and healthy. And I think I was always really, you know, drawn to motherhood and I longed for a baby. And for a long time, this was a point of contention between me and my partner um, and that he wasn't ready for a baby and I really wanted one. So I think that that yearning um, really drives that value system. And I've always said that this story is my love letter to him. It was my way of saying, you know, I love you more than anything, except for maybe this kind of hope or wish that I have for a future. So um, it's it's a romantic story. That's the, mm -hmm. the sort of grounding of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Paige. And what of the idea that a person may beg God for something, bargain with God, etc., and then once the person gets what they want, they say, now that I have it, I can forget God for good. Um, is this natural behavior for religious folks or for folks who aren't so religious, neither or both? Oh, well, I have no idea. I, I'm not religious, so I have no idea what goes on in, in the heads of very religious people. But um, I find myself, even as someone who was not raised as a religious person, um, in times of strife finding myself talking to this higher power um, and I think maybe because of that it's easier for me to forget about it I kind of I'm a very uh fickle person when it comes to God so uh you know <laughs> apologies about that but but I do think that you know it is in these moments of desperation that people turn to their faith or their spirituality whatever that may be um, and when things are going good then it's easier you know to not so you don't need the faith. And I guess that's the thing is that sometimes there's a need, a need for understanding. Uh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Paige. Um, let's now move on to the next story in this collection, which is titled Lie-In. Um, tell us about the word geriatric and its uses. Oh, well, so this comes back to um, and the fear of mine that I was talking about, but in the word geriatric obviously means an older person. Um, it also, you know, a geriatric pe pregnancy is anyone who has a baby after the age of 35. So I just turned 35. I think I just missed out on the geriatric pregnancy, but it's definitely something that was, was a fear of mine. And in this particular story, um, it's a ballerina who is maybe past her prime. She's never going to become a prima ballerina principal dancer she knows that she sort of made it in this sense of the ballet world that she's dancing with the major ballet company but she's never going to get past um, the chorus line really so that is her use of the word geriatric yeah it's so strange to think of the word geriatric pregnancy because 
my friends and my wife and I, all of us waited until we were in our mid thirties, um, even through 40 for some of us to have kids and to think of, of any of us as geriatric um, is very interesting to say the least. Uh, but I do love finding a good word like that. I'm partial to the word abomination. I just think it's a nice sounding word. I try to fit it into stories whenever I can. Do you have any other favorite words that you like to squeeze in whenever you're able I think with my favorite words, I actually tried to edit them out. So mm. I have to do a little control find and, and get rid of them. One word that I found that I used all the time was bloom. I mm. thought, oh, how many things can, and I, I do love the word, the shape of it in your mouth sort of mimics the way that it looks on the page and what it means. Like it has a lot of things about the word just feel really perfect to me, but um, you can only have so many blooming things in one collection so I had to go through and then it's kind of there's very few adjectives for bloom blossom so mm -hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. one of my favorite that's good I'm partial to the word bloom also I'm a huge James Joyce fan so um bloom is a favorite of mine uh for obvious reasons I hope for those of you who read Ulysses um well, all right, Paige, this storyline, it's about a woman uh, who is home alone because her husband is touring in a ballet, uh, a ballet in which there is a new female lead. Uh, the protagonist obsesses over this new female lead and the things that she may uh, be doing with her husband. Um, she obsesses over photographs of this new female lead in the ballet. My question, Paige, is how does the internet enable these obsessions and paranoias pre-internet obsessions and paranoias of this type existed but it seems like we're in a whole new ball game now yes i think this is something that started with me at a very early age so i don't know how it would have panned out i'm a bit of a a bit of a creeper which is why i purposely limit my internet and i probably would have mm. been like a real life creeper you know in high school i used to kind of drive by the houses of the boys i like so I guess mm -hmm. that's the pre pre internet version of this. Mm -hmm. Are they home? Are they out on the <laughs> Friday night? But I remember even just like when I was in high school on AOL Instant Messenger, and this is, is a bit of a throwback. I would refresh the profiles of the boys that I liked to see what they were doing or were they online. Um, so I've always kind of had that um, obsessive nature, and I think that something like Instagram or Facebook it really feeds into that because you feel like you can see what people are doing or you can kind of track their movements um, and it can become quite unhealthy. And even, even now I'm not really, I'm not on social media, um, but when my partner, you know, is away, I'm always updates, send me photos. I want to know what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. So I have a bit of an in intense sort of need, need to know what's happening, FOMO, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And um, what other types of obsessions do you think that um, that the Internet feeds into? Like, I know that there's, you know, politics where um, it's things there's just so much more divisive now because everyone can go down all of these rabbit holes or people. Um, hypochondriacs, for example, who are like, oh, no, my nose tickles. Like, let me look up all of these different symptoms and see what I might be sick with. Um what other behaviors like this do you think that uh, the internet and social media lend themselves to? Well, I think for writers, there's a lot of um, this feeling of comparison that people are getting a lot done and you're not. 
where actually so much of writing happens behind the scenes. And, you know, anyone that's a writer knows this, there's, you know, this sort of endless submitting um, that is not glorious at all. But what you hear about are the publications that people get or the stories that they finish. And so it really can feel like you're treading water and everyone is swimming ahead of you. Um, especially on Twitter, it seems like a lot of people, you know, every day they have a new publication, something new coming out. Um, so I find it really helpful to tune out of that, to not be looking around and see what other people are doing and just kind of do the work. Yeah, I think that's a good decision. I made a conscious decision to only use social media for marketing. I wish I could totally cut it out, but unfortunately, Facebook has a loophole where if you need to manage a business account, you have to have a personal account to do it. And um, yeah, those tricky folks up there in Seattle, no thanks. That's what I say. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Paige. And finally, uh, and we have only touched upon the surface of your collection, but I do want to leave some things for our listeners to discover. Um, but finally, I want to talk about the story titled Gwendolyn Wakes. Uh, I loved this story. Paige, please tell our listeners what happens in the Department of Recovery and why, Paige, is so much of this story redacted? So what happens in the Department of Recovery is it's actually a sort of, and this is the sort of socialist Australian government side coming out, but it's actually a free department where if you um, get your heart, your relationship ends, you call this hotline and there's, you know, a professional that talks you through your relationship problems and comes up with a plan, you know, for how to get your partner back or how to repair your relationship. This service obviously doesn't exist, um, but it is a public service. So the people that work there kind of work in what would be a call center um, or public service like office environment. And why things are redacted in the book is um, exactly that reason, because it's a government agency. Um, they're protecting <laughs> the privacy of the people that call in. Um, or things you know that are a bit explicit that will be essentially bleaked out um, because it is this sort of official context that they're working in at the Department of Recovery. Yeah, right. And I have, um, over the course of my life, I've worked in two call centers, one um, for an internet company that I believe this was at like the advent of the internet when somebody was trying to compete with America online. <laughs> and then um, another was for a, a financial services company. And um, my question about the Department of Recovery then, um, and I sort of know the answer to this, but our listeners don't, how would the quality of your work be measured if you were someone who were working there? Would it be measured in how many calls you were able to take, like the volume, or would it be measured in quality, like how many people you actually helped achieve their goal of either moving past their relationship or rekindling it? So it's definitely in the quantity and the real inspiration for that is that I was actually working at a cafe, but all of my friends were working around the corner um, at Department of Infectious Diseases. Mm. And there every Friday or every Thursday, they got their results of how many, you know, diseases they had logged. And so we'd go out to the pub and I would hear the tally of, you know, who, who was winning, who had, who had logged the most infectious diseases. And I just thought that that was hilarious. And so that really stuck with me, that sort of competitive nature, you know, of 
of that government work. Absolutely. And you never know uh, where you're going to get inspiration from. Well, thank you so much, Paige. And thank you for writing this wonderful book, which is sure to be one of the best short story collections of the year. Listeners, thank you so much. Thank you so much for writing it. Listeners, I've been speaking with Paige Clark, author of She is Haunted, which is published by our friends at $2 Radio. Paige, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Jason. Once again, I would like to thank Paige Clark for joining me. Copies of She is Haunted can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping for members of Readers Club Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsors, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm to the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.